He is Alderman Walter Burnett, the Dean of Chicago Alderman from the 27th Ward, also the Vice Mayor of the City of Chicago. Alderman Burnett, thank you for coming on. And this is where I want to start. Uh, you didn't run for the office of Vice Mayor. I don't recall there ever being a Vice Mayor. You weren't especially supportive of Mayor Johnson, as I recall. Uh, how did you land the Vice Mayor gig? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Steve, thank you for having me on. Uh, no no one runs for vice mayor. There have always been a vice mayor. Some people may recall when Harold Washington died, uh, David Orr became the mayor. Right. Because he was the vice mayor. Uh-huh. So David Orr, was the, he was the alderman and the vice mayor uh, at that time. Uh, alderman Suarez was the vice mayor. Uh, alderman Gabinski was the vice mayor. So we've always had a, a vice mayor, but uh, it, it pretty much has been a emergency placeholder spot, so to speak. If something was to happen to the mayor, they would become the mayor. But in this instance, uh, Mayor Johnson has asked me to take on a bigger role and uh, be sort of a surrogate at times to go speak for him. Uh, also to help do some troubleshooting with some of the things that's happening in the city, you know, people who periodically uh, come to me for stuff uh, and we try to help out where we can or try to give the mayor a heads up or be the eyes and ears for him on what's going on in different communities as far as the business community or neighborhoods or whatever we run past. So, so we just kind of work in a partnership you know, I was shocked that he, he appointed me. Uh, we did have a, a, a relationship before he ran for mayor, uh, but I had a longer relationship with Paul Ballas at that time, and that's why we didn't support him. But I did support um, the mayor when he ran for county commissioner and helped him to become county commissioner. But then he, he reminded me that uh, <clears throat> he met me years ago uh, when he was a youngster working at the YMCA in my ward hmm. in the 90s, early 90s, in the late 90s. And uh, I used to frequent the YMCA. Um, I used to try to talk to young people and get them to turn their life around over in the Cabrini Green. He worked at the New City YMCA. And, uh, you know, so it was, so he reminded me of that, uh, and and I didn't remember it. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so he's been knowing me for a long time. Uh, and we've always had the utmost respect for each other. Even when he called me and asked me to support him, at that time I said, you know, I've already made a commitment. Um, you know, I didn't agree with all his policies at that time. And, um, and you know, we, we spoke like men, and he said, okay. Uh, and, you know, so I appreciate him uh, having a heart to – um, allow me to be the vice mayor and to um, look look at my experience and my relationships as a a benefit for his administration. Well, Mayor Brandon Johnson also uh, says that he's a bridge builder, uh, and that goes back to when he was in county government, and he was. I mean, he talks to everybody, and he still does that. So from that perspective, it makes some sense. But I'll tell you, the vice president of the United States isn't going to publicly 
disagree with the president of the United States. I'm not quite sure that's true for the city of Chicago or not. What do you think? Well, you know, so I've always uh, I've always worked with every mayor, right? And we've never uh, publicly have disagreed with a mayor. Uh, the way that we've always have operated, if we had any differences with some of the policies or things that a mayor was putting forth, we try to discuss them behind the scenes and try to see if we can come to a compromise in dealing with those things before it gets uh, to the council and and try not to put our differences in public, right? Um, because we always, my, my um, way of governing is always wanting to be able to come back to the table. So, and always learn how to agree to disagree. So we, we would never, uh, we have never embarrassed a mayor in public, um, but we've always tried to work with them and always try to uh, encourage some of our concerns uh, with any legislation that was coming up. All right, so about 25 minutes into his budget speech, Mayor Brandon Johnson finally, finally, it was a 40-minute talk approximately, finally mentioned what is the most, I think, and you tell me if you disagree, because you talk to your constituents every day. But the most pressing issue for Chicagoans, I think, is community public safety. And and it was more than halfway through his speech when he finally did talk about adding more detectives, something I don't think police or the public would argue with. Uh, but are the police in Chicago still, quote, handcuffed as to what they can do and can't do? Cook County police are now uh, a part of patrolling a part of Chicago. And it's been said to me by Chicago police officers that they're grateful for it in part because there are less constraints on what the Cook County police can do compared to the Chicago police, even though that sentence that I just said should never exist. Can you comment on all of that? Yeah. So for one, um, one you know, I, I think the mayor figured that we just came off of appointing the new superintendent, right? And a superintendent that's from the city of Chicago that had uh, a superintendent that has all of the respect of all of the police officers, uh, one who has pretty much trained most of the newer police officers in the past couple of decades. Um, so I think the mayor felt like that was a strong statement by itself, just just appointing uh, the superintendent to be the superintendent. And it also, uh, you know, it also gave him an opportunity to win um, the assurance of the police that he has their back by hiring somebody who they know will have their back. Uh, and so that will encourage them to work harder for him and somebody who knows the operation but also someone who's working on a consent decree who knows how to navigate all of those rules and regulations that police have to go to now, uh, whereas uh, to show them how to be able to take care of their business without being handcuffed and still being able to uh, serve and protect the public. So he felt like he already did that. Uh, of course, in his budget, 
uh, and and that happened a month, a week, a week or so before he announced the budget. So with this budget, he felt like he didn't have to mention it first on, head on. He did mention it in the interim. Uh, he did not cut the police budget, um, you know, and, and he's well, he's working with the police. I mean, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things when they campaign. Um, I would say most of the things that the mayor said that he was going to try to do, he's trying to keep his commitment for him. But I think dealing with the police and dealing with the safety of the city of Chicago, he he's somewhat trying to work with the police in order for them to be able to do their job. And um, so, and then uh, as far as, uh, what was the other things? Well, sure. So, so one thing, though, that is, and I want your comment on this, is that a lot of people in, in your ward and all over the city feel... They can't walk their dog at night. They cannot take public yeah. transportation at night. They feel unsafe in their own neighborhoods. That is still true today, even more so, I would argue, than when Mayor Brandon Johnson become, became mayor. Yeah. And, and that's been going on for a minute. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, a lot of people aren't noticing that the homicides have gone down. Uh, in the city of Chicago. A lot of folks uh, tend to, you know, glaze over that, but that's happening. Uh, yeah, uh, burglaries, stick-ups, and uh, other things are happening all throughout the city. People are moving around the city and comfortable going into other communities more so than they were in the past. Uh, the police are looking at that, and, and I think they're they're trying to address it. One of the biggest challenges with that is you know, is that we need more police. Uh, we need to recruit more police. We need to hire more police. And we need the police that we have to be more encouraged and more vigilant on dealing with these things. I think with the new superintendent, I think you'll get a lot more vigor uh, from the police, so to speak, because they want to work for him. They, they, they feel like he got their back. They feel like they want to work for him. You know, for a minute when they, when when the mayor first got elected, they kind of had mixed emotions uh, because of some of the campaign rhetoric that they thought he wasn't going to be supportive of the police. Well, hiring this superintendent uh, is totally different than that. Uh, we all have a lot of work to do with how aggressive and how, um, uh, how I would say, um, I don't know, blatant people are getting with um, with these robberies and, and crime nowadays. So we all got to work on that more. We've always have, quite as this kept, the sheriff, the federal government, uh, the sheriff, the FBI, and a, the, what is it, ATF, uh, uh, have always worked with the city in some of the, the more challenging communities. In our city, they've always worked, you know, on the west side and the south side where we had high gang trafficking at. A lot of folks, everybody don't know that, but a lot of us in uh, in these neighborhoods where there's challenges that know that the sheriff, ATF, and the, and the FBI have been working on the crime and the drug problems in these communities for years. For the sheriff to come out and just do regular detail in certain areas like Lincoln Park, I mean, that's a great thing because we do need the help. Uh, we need as much help as we can get. Unfortunately, um, 
since the riots or the the uprising downtown, Rodney King and all of those things, there's been a there's been a bad impression about being a police, right? And a lot of young people aren't signing up. And there's an aggressive uh, recruitment effort on the police department to try to recruit more people. Uh, if you look at every festival that's going on, all of the automatic events, uh, police recruiters are there. We're trying to encourage more people to become police. The police are going to universities and colleges all over the country trying to recruit people and trying to get people to sign up. Police department, uh, being a police officer is a great job. They can make almost over $100,000 with benefits, be able to retire early, all of those great things. But for some reason, there's a bad, you know, there's a bad black spot on uh, being a police. And we're trying to uh, encourage more people to do it and change that and let people know. And that's one of the things that the superintendent has said uh, during his um, before he got uh, sworn in, is that he's going to he's working on that. Uh, he wants to um, you know make it a honorable uh, job again, where it has a a good image, not being anti-community, but being part of the community uh, and being a protector of the community. And uh, he's going to put forth those efforts. and And I say we need to give him time to do that and build it up. And hopefully we can recruit more people. You know, the other challenge was there were so many jobs out there because a lot of people didn't go back to work. So there are so many opportunities for people to work nowadays that, you know, the the least attractive one to some folks maybe wasn't a police officer. But those things are starting to change now. And, And the police department salary and benefits and everything are starting to be a little more attractive compared to other positions that may be open. And hopefully that will attract more people uh, to the police department. And And then hopefully that will help us to be able to have more manpower to be able to deal with everything because these robberies and these, these uh, rash uh, burglaries are going on all over the city. Um, and, you know, we just don't have a, enough police officers to keep up with all of them on the front end. They have to come and try to deal with it on the back end. But uh, we're trying to do everything we can to work on it. I hope that is true. And and to further your point, it's not only Chicago. So uh, cities all over the country are in need of physicians, of all things. Many have left the profession, nurses, as well as teachers, as well as uh, law enforcement officers. So it's not only Chicago. It is post-pandemic, an issue that's happening all over. And crime is not only up in Chicago, which we both talked about. It is in all neighborhoods. But that is happening all over the country, too, Alderman. And, And frankly, I would love to hear our president, though, we have lots of issues that President Biden needs to talk about, but I'd like to hear him talk about crime a little more than he has been. Yeah, and and, and that's a, a great point, uh, Steve, and maybe that's something we need to pass on to some of our congressmen and state senators, right? Because crime is becoming the biggest issue in the city and cities all over the country uh, since COVID, but also... Uh, you know, now we got this migrant issue, and hopefully we can contain 
uh, you know, the migrants so that it don't that don't turn into uh, the crime. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. So over five hundred million dollars has been spent. uh, If you add up the city money, the county money, the state money and the federal money uh, so far on the migrants just coming to the city of Chicago, and they still can't work. Uh, the The federal government says, "Okay, we're we're giving opportunities for that," but on the ground, that doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, do you think we've got a handle on this at all, or is Paul Vallis right, uh, who we both mentioned earlier in our conversation? Uh, he has written that this is going to be a financial Armageddon for the city if bus loads continue to come in every day. So, you know, so it can be a, uh, it's a, it's a pro and a con uh, with it. Two, one thing is, um, you know, as you know, a lot of people have been migrating out of the city. We've been losing population. Uh, We've been losing our competitive edge with uh, other cities and being able to get money from the federal government. Uh, do uh, and I'm talking about money for education, money for transportation, money for health care because our census numbers have gone down. Uh, a lot of businesses after COVID, uh, you know, couldn't hire enough people to work. Uh, a lot of jobs. Uh, I have restaurants even in a full market that that was half open because they didn't have enough staff to do the upstairs uh, because. You know, a lot of folks got locked out of the city um, and and locked out of the country, so to speak, during COVID. People weren't moving around as much. So I think, you know, there may be room for these migrants to have opportunities once they get their work permit to be able to work. I know of businesses right now that's looking, uh, looking for them to be able to work legitimately and waiting for them to get... Uh, situated so that they can hire them. You know, we have a, a big challenge, Steve, and I and I know being African-American, you know, a lot of us in the African-American community are like, what about, you know, all our folks that's been out of work for a long time already? Well, we've been having job fairs all over the city. Companies been coming to me and other people are trying to find people to work, and they can't just get people to work. So we need uh, another group of people that that are, you know, hungry, that, that, that want to work, hungry for a job, and that want to work uh, to incorporate them into our society. Coincidentally, I just came from church. I go to a Baptist church, and this is the second week in a row that, that some of the migrants joined my church. Some mm-hmm. Venezuelans joined the church, and now we have to have an interpreter at the church, translator at the church. But we have uh, four families that joined the church. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, I think, you know, uh, you can't brush them all with the same brush. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of good people with a lot of good potential that's coming to the city. And these folks may help us in a lot of ways, not only to fill positions for jobs that people have been looking for, but also to help us fill our numbers with our population so that we can get more money from the federal government. You know, the public schools get more money when they have more kids in the schools. You know, they get money per head, per student. So as these young uh, migrant children 
join our public schools. Our public schools get more money, and so on and so forth. But right so now, it's, but it's right a now they. A con. Yeah, but right now, right now it's costing. Right now, on the front end, it's costing us some money. Well, it's not Hopefully, only it's yeah. not only uh, Alderman. It's not only the money. It's the inability to do the things that we're talking about. Uh, the reality is they can't get those work permits. The reality is that in some cases, if not most cases, the Chicago public schools aren't allowing the migrant children to attend because they don't have a permanent address. I mean, it's the cycle no, that they're no, stuck they, in. They are. They they are the city. As soon as they come, the city put them in schools. The city, they they in the school down the street from my house. They're putting them in school. The first thing they do is try to get the kids in school. That's what the Department of Family and Supportive Services are doing, is getting the kids right in school. Because, one, they go to the school, they get to eat, you know, they get to learn, all of that stuff, and the families know they're safe, and it gives the family members the opportunity to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Uh, also, the city is trying to help them to learn English as a second language. Uh, so they, they put a lot of stuff in place trying to help these folks. So hopefully they can get incorporated into our society. And um, and I don't, look, I don't see them like some people may see them in some communities as competition. I see them as addition for the areas where uh, folks in our community may not want it to do the things that they may be willing to do. Absolutely. I understand that. But again, uh, I've, I've, I know a little bit of Spanish. Uh, so I've talked to some people, at least in my neighborhood, who have children and they say they don't know how to get their children in school. They would be interested if they could. Uh, I offered uh, at a facility where migrants are living a uh, what do they call the heating air conditioning guy uh, to install for free uh, whatever they mm-hmm. need at the facility. And he said the disorganization, he tried, he tried, he tried. No one would call back. Uh, similar, uh, a former college professor who would teach English as a second language, uh, who's now retired, uh, major college institution. This is not a fly-by-night dude who just knows, like me, Spanglish. But this is someone who really can do it, and he said the city is so disorganized that he also gave up. So where are we with that to make things better? So it's challenging right now dealing with them. So when they first come, from what I understand, they're at the airport, and they're at the police stations. So at the airport and at the police stations, it's really hard to, to, you know, function with them. Right, because you're just trying to get them to go to a, a little more stable place, so then they can transfer to. So it's, it's like layers of things that they have to do. You go to the police station or the airport, then you go to a shelter. Then from the shelter, they try to find you housing, right? So while you're in a shelter, that's when they try to get your kids in schools. I know even when they were in uh, at the police station over at the 18th district over in my ward. Folks was getting them into into the school in the neighborhood. Uh, the churches over there were getting their, getting them into uh, Jenner School with uh, Park Community Church, and so we've been getting the kids in schools. Uh, they uh, people in my neighborhood get them into Brown School over here on the near west side. So they've been getting them in the schools, but it's, it's different layers. You know, when they at the police station, it's a little hard to really. Uh, uh, you know, organize as much. Uh, there's been a lot of non-for-profit advocates that have and that have been helping. Uh, 
but when we, the city gets, I think the city gets more engaged when they get into the shelters. Now, when they get into the shelters, they have caseworkers there all day, 24 hours a day. So caseworkers are there to deal with all of their issues and help them with everything, right? They, they help them with their medical, with food, with clothing, right, with uh, seeing if they speak English, all of those things to see where they can get in, where they can fit in, and also with the school situation. And then also, um, if I'm not mistaken, the city is trying to work with city colleges to inc- to incur, encourage uh, English as a second language in those facilities. Okay, we're running out of time here. So uh, quickly, uh, this is something I know that you're, knowing you, excited about. Finally, we're going to get the lead out of uh, water in Chicago or out of the pipes that ends up in our water. And there's a Department of Environment. All good news, I think. Yes, definitely. So the mayor, uh, looking at the social injustice or the environmental injustices that's been going on around the world, uh, was very uh, concerned about that. Uh, and a lot of aldermen uh, were, too. And we bought back the Department of Environment uh, so we can deal with all of the environmental issues uh, so it don't be scattered all over the place. It was at the, uh, the Department of Health was trying to handle most of it, uh, but it needs its own function. So it can, you know, be um, uh, focused, uh, laser focus on issues dealing with the environment and dealing with environmental justice and making sure that people are healthy and safe, uh, dealing with all types of issues in, in regards to environment, like noise issues, like smell issues, like pollution issues, all of those different things that goes on in our society. And, uh, and need, uh, more, uh, more, more trees, which is great. Yes. So, so we have a, he uh, appointed a new commissioner, Ms. Tavar, um, who's uh sort of an expert in uh, dealing with the environment and, and working with uh, those folks who've been working on environmental justice across the city and country. Well, I have about 1,200 more questions for you, but I won't ask 1,200, just one more. I meant to ask earlier, uh, some of your colleagues, some of the other aldermen say, or alders say, no more. We, we should stop being a sanctuary city. What do you think? So I don't know. You know, um, so then what do you do, right? So I'll give you an example, Stephen. I was just telling someone a story. I had a migrant meeting. I go on LaSalle and, ran, LaSalle and uh, Lake, go into the parking lot. I see this kid, he's begging for money. All right, Latino, can't hardly speak English. Mm-hmm. Uh, use my Google translator to translate and talk to him. I'm like, look, you ask for money, aren't you in the shelter? Don't they feed you? All of this stuff. He's like, no, I'm not in the shelter. He's like, I'm Venezuelan, but I came here on my own. Right? He came here on his own. And he came here on his own from Texas. However way he got here, he's here. So these people are going to come anyway. And if we don't contain it and if we don't try to deal with it, they're going to be here anyway. And it may drive up our homeless dollars and everything else if we don't get involved with it. 
So we have to get involved with it on the front end. So by not being a sanctuary city, I don't know what that does. What do that do? What does it do to say that we're not a sanctuary city, that it says that we're not going to embrace people when they come to our city? I mean, okay, if we don't embrace it, it may cost us more money in the long run. Well, some are so, saying some are saying just turn back the buses, uh, communicate with the governor of Texas, and if he doesn't abide, just send the buses, send the people right back on the buses. I would personally yeah. believe there's some inhumanity involved in that, but sending them somewhere where they don't even know where they're going, that's like trafficking as well. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this. I think the mayor is on his way to the border. I think uh, one of the things they're going to find out what the landscape is of this situation and who's directing these folks here, but also to educate people to let them know when they come to the Midwest, when they come to Chicago, especially in the winter months, you know, it's it's not as easy as, as it is being in those hot communities, right, where you can be in a tent outside. And all of those things. So I think I think it's going to be a dual education uh, when they when they go to the border and explain some of these things to folks, and maybe you know you know pretty much have a buyer beware type of deal uh, with people that you know you, you come here, but this is what you're going to have to deal with. It's not going to be you know uh, as easy as you think it's going to be. It's going to be a little more challenging for you, and it's going to be a little bit more challenging for us to try to help you immediately. Well, I think Mayor Adams in New York City did the same sort of thing recently, and he went further than what you're describing, and maybe Brandon Johnson will do this or not, uh, but he said, in essence, don't come to New York. Uh, We're still a sanctuary city, but don't come here. That seems contradictory to me and confusing to me. Well, I can't speak uh, specifically for the mayor in relationship to that. I think he, he does that pretty well himself. But that's just what I'm uh, assuming that's going to happen. All right. Well, always a pleasure to talk to Alderman Walter Burnett, the dean of Chicago. How does it feel to be like the old man of Chicago Alderman and you're not old? Yeah. So and that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm the longest serving but I'm not the oldest. Uh, so, you know, that's why, Steve, you start to see me now wearing gym shoes and trying to look cool, trying to look <laughs> younger, man, because they keep trying to call me old, you know? <laughs> you have but, you always know, been young. You will always be young. And, and I will tell you, uh, in working with you has always been, because I have, on animal welfare issues, and it's always been a pleasure to do that. Uh, and congratulations on being the vice mayor or... I think that's the right word. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you do, and thank you for your service, Alderman. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show, and Steve, thank you for all of your advocacy for animals, man. Well, thank you. You know, I really appreciate how much you care about animals. I don't know anyone who's more boisterous and outspoken for the welfare of animals than, than yourself. So thank you very much, and God bless you for what you do. And, I'm, and, I, and I know you don't just care about animals, you care about people too. So thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, man, thank you so much. Alderman Walter Burnett, thank you.